This is a Baby Brunch podcast. It's not often that we have time to actually call in a medical doctor and say, hey, be available during your conference time to be on Skype with us so that we can get knowledge, insights, and also so that we can hear his story about this. Today, we're talking about bedwetting on Baby Brunch, the parenting series. And Dr. Michael Mole, it is an honor to have you on Skype with us today. Ilana, the honor is mine, by the way. And before we even get going, it's so great to be asked to speak on a topic of which I am a bedwetter, or was rather, not am, was. So it's great to speak to something that uh, is really close to home. I want to know your story first. If you say that you were a bedwetter, what happened? Well, it's kind of difficult to explain because when you wet your bed, you have no idea what you're doing, Ilana. I grew up in a home with, uh, and I, I was a bedwetter. In fact, if you were worried about your kid being a bedwetter, if you were a bedwetter, your odds are around 50% if one parent was a bedwetter that your child is going to be one of them. I was. And I think in my parents' desperate attempt to try and get me to stop, and because there wasn't a lot of information out there then, I used to get woken up or woke up, and my mom would get me to clean my sheets um, before she allowed me to go back to bed again. And it wasn't, uh, she wasn't mean, she's the most loving person in the world, but it was her attempt to say, Michael, this is serious, you can't just keep wetting your bed, that's annoying, it's, you're being naughty, you know. And I think that, that sort of stuck with me in the sense of uh, most kids, most bedwetting kids, in fact, statistically, and I hate quoting stats, uh, but around 50% of kids are being physically punished for wetting their beds, and it's something they have no control over, so it's never done uh, willfully, it's never done because they want to just annoy their parents or get back at their parents. It is something that is completely out of their control. And that's really the message around bedwetting is, guys, go easy on your kids. They have no idea they're doing it. I crack an open my kill. You know, I've actually become really emotional and I, it feels like I want to cry because we're dealing here with young people. First of all, as a, as a mom of small children, you there's the sleepless nights and you've done the first six weeks and then you go, okay, when is my baby going to start sleeping through? Then there's potty training, and now you've you've you're almost there. And then there's then there's bedwetting, so it's more sleepless nights. One thinks that you're going through all these stages, and then you get to the point where you think, okay, baby's going to sleep through. But then, uh, I mean, recently at school, a, a teacher used the term, "Do you lift her at night?" You know, which implies at eleven o'clock, do you take her out of the bed to let her go and make a wee, so that we make sure that she doesn't wee in the bed throughout the night. So it does create a concern about when is the right. I mean, there's so many questions around this. How old were you at the time when you wet the bed? I think I was six. Um, so, but, but generally, it's around the age of six. In fact, if you look at bedwetting, uh, Ilan, and there are a couple of things I just want to jump out and, and speak to. Maybe let me quickly talk to lifting because that's a common question. You know, do you lift your child? Should you lift your child? The answer is absolutely not. I know it sounds convenient and it makes sense because, you know, you, you don't want your child to wake up in a wet bed. But... The truth is, if you lift your child, and that is waking your child up and taking them to the loo and putting them back together again, you are going to prolong their season of bedwetting. Because the whole idea around bedwetting is that your child is aroused by themselves uh, by a full bladder to get up and go and empty their bladder rather than you waking them. So do not lift your child for any reason. Uh, you know, it, It's not about when your bladder is full, it's about when their bladder is full and how they get to feel that full bladder. So please don't lift. Generally, Alana, the, the, the statistics in South Africa are between the ages of five and 10, one in six kids are wetting their beds. So it is very common. If you look at a classroom of 25, 30 kids, there's five or six kids that will be wetting their beds in that classroom. And the importance of that is that you need to let your kids know because most children that are wetting their beds are going to think, I'm the only one going through this. This is awful. It's terrible. And maybe the first approach to your child is to say, hey, you're not the only one. You know, there are other kids that battle with the same thing as you do. So 
very high stats. Um, but yeah, I suppose to your point, we, we expect children to have a mature bladder. Uh, in other words, that they sleep through the night and don't wet their beds in the evenings from about the age of five to six onwards. So if you're looking at the definition of nocturnal enuresis or bedwetting, uh, there are two things that need to be in place. First, your child must be over the age when we expect them, their bladder to be mature. and Technically, that is five. And they need to be wetting their beds at least twice a week. So people come to me and say, I'm really worried about my, you know, my, my son. He's four, wets his bed all the time in the evenings. I'm going, that's fine. That's normal. You know, we expect his bladder to be mature by the age of five. So it's got to be five and older and at least twice a week. Then you have a bedwetting child on your hands. Why do we feel so emotional about it? Why, why is it such a big issue? Well, you're asking the wrong guy. I mean, I'm, I'm the dad, you know, uh, <laughs> ask a mom. I think the, the and, but you're not wrong to feel emotional about it because I think the biggest impact that bedwetting has on kids is self-esteem. Mm. Again, studies have shown that kids who wet their beds undervalue themselves compared to peers who don't. It's crazy. Um, and they see themselves as less valuable. Their self-esteem gets knocked. And so the, the thing that parents need to really be focusing on when it comes to your child is not getting them dry, it's making sure that this bedwetting doesn't impact on their self-esteem. I mean, it's amazing. The kids that wet their beds have a higher risk for depression later on in life. So you need to deal with that right up front. And that's probably where the emotions come in and why you get so emotional. Because here's a child that's batting with something that clearly is affecting their self-esteem. And there's so little you can do about it. You know, uh, you certainly don't punish them. I mean, parents that punish their kids... Again, a bit like lifting, you prolong your season of bedwetting and you increase, you know, the nights that they wet in the evenings. So uh, no punishment, no lifting. How do you deal with it? So you have a child who is wetting the bed at night. Uh, they are between their ages of five and six. So let's say that the, the bladder is maturing and it's time now to let them know that we're going to try at this. Let's say they do wet the bed at night. The next morning or in the night, what do you do in simple terms? How do we approach this? What do you say to your baby or your child? Well, there are two, there are two approaches. There's a conservative approach and there's a proactive approach. And the, the, the way to decide on which you'll take depends on your child. You might have a child who is seven or eight who still wets the bed but is not impacted by it. You know, bite it all. They they laugh about it. It's a bit of a family joke, and you know, it's not affecting their self esteem or their you know, in any way then you just treat that child conservatively. But you might have a child who's five and you can just use completely distorted the fact that they wake up in a wet bed. Then you jump in with proactive approaches. So conservatively, that's the stuff we all naturally do as parents. Uh, you limit fluid intake before bedtime. Please not during the day. Give your child as much fluid as possible. But within two hours of bedtime, you start to limit fluid intake. And of course, just before bedtime, you know, uh, there's, there's always kind of a little bit of water, a sip or two is fine, but generally two hours before bedtime, you limit fluid intake. Uh, just before bed, you get them to avoid their bladders. That's, again, a no-brainer. Uh, there is some research around protein and salt for dinner that increases your chances of bedwetting. Mm, it's a thin line there. It's a little gray. It wouldn't be too worried about that, but certainly avoid any caffeinated drinks. So you're not going to give your kid coffee before uh, bed, obviously, but there's certain uh, hot chocolate drinks or, or teas that have caffeine in them, that increases your risk of bedwetting. So take those out as well. And then then the small things. I mean, most kids have to fight monsters and deep, dark holes to get to the bathroom in the evenings. You've got to make it as easy as possible for them to get there by leaving a light on and just making it really, giving them really simple access. And again, that's that's the conservative approach. That's the stuff we would do naturally. 
the more proactive approach is to say, well, there's really there's two things you could do uh, to manage this bedwetting season. And maybe before we even get into that, understand bedwetting is not something that needs to be cured. It is a season that is part of you know, your physiology. It's part of growing up. But some kids uh, will mature sooner than others. It's not a disease. It's not a condition that needs to be treated or cured. It is just a season that needs to be supported as it passes. Maybe let me take a step back and just explain the three reasons or three causes of bedwetting and then how we treat those causes. So uh, three, three things that cause a child to wet the bed in the evening. Firstly is a small bladder. In other words, low, low urine volume. All right. Uh, the second reason is they don't produce a hormone that tells the kidneys to produce less urine at night. And the third reason is you just get deep sleepers, children who don't get awoken by a full bladder. The kind of brain-bladder connection is not mature yet. It's those three primary reasons. There are secondary reasons, you know, diabetes, sickle cell anemia, all those kind of pathologies. That's about 20 25% of bedwetters. The bulk of them are these three natural causes if you like and the three natural causes we shouldn't be alarmed by the three natural causes i mean they're growing right so the body will develop absolutely i mean i, I don't know why i'm mentioning this and i probably shouldn't but you know i don't know when your boobs arrived but they arrived at different times your friend's boobs and it's just part of you know it's a different um phase of maturation so certain kids will uh, their bladders will grow bigger at a later stage others not so much um, and then depending on what the cause of your bedwetting is, that sort of has also an impact on how you treat them. So, for example, if, you, if we use bedwetting alarms, we'll generally try to use bedwetting alarms in children that don't wake at night, that are just deep sleepers. In other words, the bladder gets full, um, that kind of connection between the brain and the bladder saying, hey, your bladder's full, is not really waking them up, and they wet their bed. That's when bedwetting alarms can be effective. In general, Two-thirds of kids will respond to bedwetting alarms, but it's expensive and it takes three or four months for it really to kind of take effect. So there's this long tail in terms of management. Another approach is if children who children are producing too much urine, in other words, they don't produce the hormone that tells their kidneys to produce less urine at night, vasopressin, there's a medication, a synthetic hormone that actually does that for the child, so the child produces less urine. And so those children that uh, have small bladder volumes and don't produce that hormone, that medication is really effective for them. Something called DDABP, and uh, you can give that to your child, and that works immediately. It's also effective in two, two-thirds of kids that wet their beds, but it works immediately, and it's great for uh, sleepovers, or it's great for when your child's just a little bit wary of having friends over. Um, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to wake up in a wet bed, don't really want to do that. Take this, this pill. And, you know, you take away that anxiety and that stress. Once you stop take, giving the child that medication, they'll go back to wetting their bed until they've kind of grown out of that season. So, again, it's not a cure. It just supports your child through the season. When we talk about the season, and I mean, I want to go back now because there's potty training is one thing. And then there's when do you start removing the nappy at night? And I want to, I want to talk about nappies quickly. So we never with our kids had an indication of when to take the nappy off. They kind of decided themselves, you know, I'm ready to not sleep with a nappy. And then we've had months of wetting the bed and just made sure that we had really good mattress covers. And then eventually it stopped. But when do you decide as a mum and dad to remove the nappy at night? I quite like your approach to let your child decide, I don't want a nappy anymore. 
I'm big enough, I'm old enough, I don't want to go to bed with a nappy. Mm. And that's fine. And that's, a, that's every parent needs to make the decision with their child and live with the consequences. I think the fact that you give the child the opportunity to decide helps them to be part of that process, part of the decision. You know, as opposed to, no, we're forcing you to keep your nappies on because you keep wetting your bed at night. That already starts knocking a child's self-image, going, oh, hang on a second. You know, something's not right. Uh, dry nights, is a, there's a lovely little product on the market uh, called Dry Nights. That's an, it's an absorbent pant, so it's not a nappy. It's, a, it's, a, it's an underpant, if you like. So very discreet, very absorbent, quiet. Uh, for those kids that don't want to wear nappies but you know, are still batting to stay dry at night, that's a, a lovely alternative. And again, it doesn't cure bedwetting. Not that bedwetting needs to be cured. It just takes away the anxiety of going to sleep, wondering if I'm going to wake up or not in a wet bed. So I think your approach is great. Let your child decide and let them be part of that process of becoming dry at night. And by the way, you mentioned potty training. I get that question all the time. You know, potty training didn't go so well for us. Is that going to affect bedwetting? Not at all. Potty training and bedwetting are worlds apart. There's no connection between the two. So if you feel as a parent we messed up potty training, it's not going to mean that your child's going to wet their bed at night. That's one little bit of guilt that has been just appeased. <laughs> Doctor, no one enjoys soggy sheets and pyjamas and it's embarrassing. And sometimes it's embarrassing for the parents as well and not just for the child. What if you want to put the nappy back? They say, no, I don't want one, but you think that tonight we want to sleep through because we're tired and you put it back. Does that have an effect? I think it does. Um, again, on the child's self-esteem or psyche. Uh, that's probably where these absorbent underpants come in to say this is not a nappy. It's just an underpants just to kind of make sure that you don't have to get up you know, in a wet bed. And I think most kids, well, I would imagine most kids don't like waking up in a wet bed. And so that, that's, that's a unique by-child decision that you need to take. Um, I'm... I'm not for forcing a child to put on nappy if they don't want to. I think that has longer-term implications than just actually waking up and sorting out dry sheets, or wet sheets, rather. Is it a sign of something? Is bedwetting a sign that I'm a bad parent or that I haven't tried hard enough or that my child will now progress slowly in most things in life, that perhaps, perhaps we've got ADHD in a situation? Not at all. So, and, and I say that, and, and I'm sure there are, are reasons to kind of uh, question that, mm. but bedwetting, and this is probably the, the most important message to get out there, bedwetting is a natural part of growing up. It really is. Certain children just mature later than others, and that really is it. There's no implication that you failed in some way, that your child is being obstreperous or difficult or trying to get back at you, or it's their way of you know, trying to get the upper hand. There's none of that. It is a physiological maturation process that's what it is you know in time if you want to sort of uh, in hindsight say well my child is a bedwetter maybe there is a connection with this condition or that condition that's all retrospective studies uh, as it stands it's a natural part of growing up and as a parent it's our responsibility to help our children get through that season of bedwetting with as little impact on their self-esteem and psyche as possible what does one do with, with sleepovers? So now the child has a desire to sleep over at a friend's house, but we're not, we're not there yet. We're not at the stage where we can sleep over because you know that you've got a bedwetter. How do you, how do you deal with that? So two ways, uh, three ways, in fact. First, let the mom know, uh, you know, the host mom, 
that we do have this issue, and that's maybe where some of the shame comes in as parents. First, you don't need to be ashamed. Uh, and I think just the fact that you're sharing them on to say, listen, this is potentially an issue. Won't you just keep an eye out, wake him up just before the other boys to make sure there isn't an incident. And then you've got your, your uh, absorbent pants and you've got your medication. So there's two very, very capable um, measures of managing bedwetting for a sleepover that can almost guarantee that they're going to wake up dry. Yeah. And I think it's important to, to be as proactive about that because as soon as a child starts isolating themselves and not inviting friends over and not accepting invitations to sleep over, that, starts, that, that should put up red flags and that should start making parents aware because you don't want that for your children. You want them to, to be as, as social as possible. There's adults listening to this podcast and they were bedwetters as children and it has affected them later in life with self-esteem. Is it something that can be, I almost want to say cured, is it something that one can say, oh, you know what, it wasn't that bad, everyone does it. What does one do if as an adult you still have feelings around being mistreated because you wet your bed as a child? So, Lana, I think that is something that a, an adult, a, a current today adult would need to deal with um, with someone who understands and someone who can listen and someone can really take them through that process of healing. I had someone who came to me uh, a little while ago and said, my mom, when I woke up in a wet bed, used to put the mattress on the back of the bucky and take me to school and drive in front of all my friends to show them the wet spot to try and get me to stop wetting my bed. And this guy was in his 40s, and I could see how that had already had a huge impact on him. So again, coming back to what I said earlier and for, you know, in, in danger of kind of repeating myself, as a parent, it's not the dry bed that you're after, the dry sheets. It's to help your child get through what's a natural season of growing up with as little impact on their self-esteem as possible. So make it a, make it a joke. Make it a lighthearted thing. I mean, in, in our family, and again, I told you the stats, I was a bedwetter, which meant one of my kids ended up being a bedwetter as well. Uh, we just made it a non-event. You know, it was, guys, part of that, no worries. It's not a big issue. There was a rule in our family that none of the other kids made tease that particular child for wetting their bed. But that was the only hard and fast rule. The rest was just, it's a, it's a non-event. So, you know, it, it, and, and we didn't kind of write it off as just ignore it. We made a, an effort to kind of create, this is part of growing up. Don't make any issues of it. It it's, doesn't make it any less of a boy, any less of a champion, whatever the case is. It's just a non-event. And I say boy because, by the way, boys are twice as affected as girls. Right. We have no idea why, but that's just how it is. Immediately, I think of being teased at school and, you know, that whole thing of, oh, you fight like a girl. You know, you still wet your bed at night. What do we do with that? Is it, is it something that comes your way quite commonly? Do, do parents bring children in and, and talk about teasing or being bullying because of, of bedwetting? No, it's, it's funny enough. I haven't had a lot of that because that's not my area of speciality. Mine is really just educating parents on what the condition is. Mm. Um, so, so the after effects in adult life is something that a psychi psychologist, psychiatrist would, would more than likely deal with and see more of. I don't see that. Um, I think as a parent, if you're aware of bullying because of bedwetting, it's something you need to address very sternly and very quickly, as with any kind of bullying, irrespective of the cause, um, because of the, the long-term implications of that. But again, it's it's bedwetting, in my experience, is quite a secretive thing. So kids don't share that they wet their beds. They, you know, um, it, it's something that, because of the shame around it, that doesn't generally get out there. Um, and as parents, if we can, you know, shield the kids from their friends finding out, uh, then all the better for that.
What if you ignore the problem? I mean, what if you go, oh, it's not that bad and you don't address it with a child at all? You pretend it's normal. Well, more normal than what we're discussing now. Uh, you don't discuss it at all. Is that a way to deal with it? No. So, you know, a child knows that there's an issue. They know that they should be dry at night. So to pretend, you know, that it isn't an issue, I don't think is the approach at all. I think we deal with it, but we deal with it in a lighthearted way. You deal with it a way to say, hey, man, you're not the only one. It's very common. Uh, this is part of growing up. And this is what's happening. It's not your fault. There's nothing you can do about it. Would you like us to try one or two things? Uh, let's keep it. Let's keep a, a kind of weekly journal of which nights you're dry and which nights you're not dry, and let's see if we can kind of keep track of that, you know, and involve your child in the whole process of getting through the season, um, but in such a way that it's not, you know, hush hush, or we, we can't tell anyone or keep a secret. It's in this family, you know, this is a, it's an issue that's a non-issue. Maybe that's the best way to describe it. And what if we're overprotective? I mean. I know a few overprotective parents, and maybe I'm one of them, where the issue is already resolved and the child is, let's say, over it, uh, but you are still the one that's going, you know what, we're not going to talk about it, or, uh, you know, don't do that because she used to be a bedwet. Or do you have advice for, for overprotective parents? Maybe a story, and it's a, it's, it could be a bit of a stretch, and... I mean, you can decide on the appropriateness of this, and it, there's a bit of an urban legend behind it, but Thomas Edison came home as a six-year-old little boy, apparently, with a letter for his mom from his teachers, uh, and he said, Mom, they said, only you should read this letter. What does it say? And she read the letter, and the letter really said, uh, you know, Mom read it, tears and eyes, said, your son is a genius, uh, he's too clever for our teachers, please will you teach him? And that's obviously what she did for uh, you know, the rest of his schooling. And then years after she'd passed away, he went through her goods, came across the same letter, and lo and behold, the letter didn't say that. The letter, in fact, said, your son is mentally deficient. We do not want to teach him in the school. He's expelled. You teach him. And Edison apparently wrote in his journal, um, you know, Thomas Edison became one of the greatest inventors of the century because, of mother, because his mother led him to believe that he was just that. And I tell that story because the, the influence of a mom particularly over a child at that age is so huge that if you make it an issue, if this becomes a shame thing for you or an issue for you or something you don't want to talk about, it becomes an issue for your child. And so you set the tone, you're the thermostat for all issues around bedwetting. And I think as parents, we need to get our, our understanding of it right and accurate and our plan to deal with it right. And then it becomes a non-issue for our kids. Wow, you're the thermostat. I love that. Oh, Dr. Mo, what are you doing today? As a, as a parent, and you and your wife, you have three beautiful children, stunning family. How do you know that the, what you're teaching your children is, is right? <laughs> um, we don't know. The, our approach has always been what we do. We do with as much thought as possible and with as much love as possible. And then we pray about it, man. We have a, we have a biblical worldview. Um, our, we bring up our kids with a very strong faith and a faith background. But when it comes to parenting, or as, as part of parenting, we really just apply that rule, man. A little bit of thought and a lot of love. And dear God, help us. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Moll, it's only been a pleasure speaking to you. And thanks for giving us advice and for encouraging us. I don't know why I'm so emotional about this conversation, but... I know that you've helped a whole lot of parents and children today. 
Well, Ilana, thank you for highlighting a topic like this because it generally isn't spoken about and there is shame and there is stigma. So the fact that you just put it out there and get it out into, um, I was going to say the airwaves, my word, that just shows my age. How horrible. Why would he even say something like that? But I want to say thank you so much. Well done for uh, turning the spotlight onto Bird Wedding.